Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, a tale of teenage angst, marijuana, and a malevolent eldritch spirit. The Hundred-Eyed God, the Herbalist, is a part of a shared universe written during the pandemic of 2020, and episodes can be consumed in any order. Tonight's tale is read by Jen Kirk, with musical accompaniment by Petar Mardian. If you don't want to miss out on any episodes of The Hundred-Eyed God, feel free to hit whatever subscribe and rating button you have on your listening platform of choice. New chapters will be coming out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. With that out of the way, light up a blunt, close your eyes, and don't let your mind be seized by the incomprehensible. My name is Liz. I'm 17 and I've done something can't say I'm super clear on the specifics of what actually went down over the past three months, but I know I've been a small part of something bad. Sorry if I get rambly, I'm operating on two cans of Red Bull and a hefty bong hit right now. Gotta stay awake, and weed is the only thing that stops the thing out there from crawling around in my head. Just needed somewhere to vent so I don't go crazy, and I've heard this corner of the internet is particularly welcoming to people going through bad situations. Look outside. The way those things shine in the sky, they're not stars. They're eyeballs. The wind is gone, the air is thick like someone is about to shoot off fireworks into a crowd, and those eyes are just looking down, waiting, watching. Something bad is about to happen, and I know I'm partially responsible. Something bad is about to happen, and I know it all started with me calling my stepdad fat. We've always had a weird relationship. When my mom first brought him home, I just presumed he was just someone to come over and fix our internet. Most of the guys she brought home before were just different versions of my pops. They all had tats, confusing facial hair, and every single one of them owned a bike that they referred to in some old lady name like Lucille or Patrice. And then comes along this middled management looking dope, dress shirt, balding, kinda chubby, the guy just stood there while my mom went through the usual, this guy is going to have breakfast with us tomorrow, shtick. Then he extended his hand, put on his friendliest face, and said, Hello Liz, my name's Greg. It's a pleasure to meet you. I heard you like Led Zeppelin. He's too fat. Find someone else. It just kind of rolled out of me. I don't know, sometimes I just like saying inappropriate things. You know, throw a wrench into the machination of life. Keep stuff interesting, <laughs> you know? My ex Matt used to say that I actively sabotage social situations to ensure I don't get too attached to anyone. But the last time I checked, he isn't a therapist. He's 16 and a tool. I just got caught off guard by a stranger in the house and I thought it would be funny to call him fat. Get off my case. He went red, my mom rolled her eyes at me and I went over to my room. In the morning, Greg had breakfast with us. I might have thrown in a jab about the amount of syrup he was putting on his pancakes, but, but then he went home. Figured that would be the end of it, and my mom would go back to her usual selection of dangerous-looking men. But she didn't. This guy just kept on showing up to the house. Eventually he moved in. Eventually they got married. Greg tried to connect. I mean, he, he tried really hard. Kept asking me for movie recommendations and what it's like being a teen today and my opinions on literally anything that was on the television, but I just couldn't help myself. 
had to call the dude fat. Seeing him blush and get flustered was just, just really funny. I needed the cheering up. I was dealing with the garbage fire that my breakup with Matt was. My stepdad asked me about it, but I told him to go eat something. What would a 40-year-old balding dude know about love anyway? Life chugged along at a decent pace. Mom worked at a hospital out in the city, Greg managed his tourism thing in the old town, and I crawled into senior year under a mountain of essays and goodbye forever snapchats from Matt. Then Corona happened. You know the story. Deadly cough cough spreads from Wuhan to the rest of the world. Everything shuts down. Everyone spends their dinners watching the television, looking at bar charts, and worrying about a collapse of modern society. Mom moved from the suburbs to the city to live with her sister so that she could be closer to the hospital, and I was left alone. With Greg. The guy kept on trying to talk to me in that weird, let's be calm voice that he would put on whenever something bad was happening. The world was imploding outside and Greg wanted to be calm? I was having none of that. I was scared and there was no way I was going to let him turn a global pandemic into a bonding moment. Whatever attempt the guy made at connecting, I rebuked with a fat joke. But he just kept on pushing. I was doing a pretty decent job of holding him off until dinner rolled around. When I sat down to eat that bullshit spaghetti he makes, he asked me if I'd been crying. Hell yeah! I'd been crying. I was scared, but I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction. Just sat there in silence listening to the news. The newscaster on the screen had his usual sharp suit and gelled hair, but hid his face under a mask that had the distinct visual vibe of being pulled out of a dumpster. Walk down effective as of midnight, no leaving the house unless it's for grocery shopping work exercise or to provide aid in family emergencies. <laughs> I burst out laughing. It wasn't a, oh, that's funny laugh, but more of a throaty release of energy that I didn't know what to do with. The fear of missing out on my graduation, on the house parties, on the chance to hook up with someone to make Matt jealous before he moves on to uni, you know, you know all that anxiety manifested into a strained chuckle. What's funny? Greg asked with that dumb, let me be your friend smile. I just imagined you exercising and it made me laugh. <laughs> I blurted it out. Because you're fat. Not my greatest comedic work, I'll admit. I've definitely delivered better zingers over the years, but this one, uh, this insult pushed something in him. He didn't blush or look away. Something in him snapped. By the time I was back in my room, I stopped giggling. I started to feel a bit bad, but I just shrugged it off. He's an adult. Adults can handle these things. Every evening, my mom would call to check up on us and fill us in on the situation in the hospital. That evening, while I laid in bed scrolling through scary news articles, I could hear Greg talk to her through the wall. Guy didn't do a lot of talking. It was all just sighs and, that must be difficult, I'm so sorry, and I wish I could be there for yous. The guy might have the personality of a plain wallpaper, but there was a sweetness to him. If Matt would have talked to me like that, we'd still be together. <laughs> I listened to Greg consoling my mom through the wall for almost an hour. Then she called me. She sounded like she'd been crying. I asked her how work was. She said it was hard. I didn't press further. Figured she'd already got it out of her system and didn't want to talk about it. 
I told her it's going to be a tough two weeks. She said it was going to be longer than two weeks. I then told her I was scared. She told me it would be fine. I told her I couldn't think about anything other than the pandemic. She told me I should only worry about things that are in my control. Asked me to be nicer to Greg and recommended me a bunch of shows to binge. Honestly, that's what's got me through this whole pandemic business. Binging content online. There's so much dope shit out there to watch. I mean, that night after getting off the phone with my mom, I committed myself to plugging into the internet and catching up on all the shows that I never had the time to watch. Breaking Bad, Six Feet Under, and the goddamn Sopranos. There was so much great storytelling floating around the web to take my mind off of things. The world's awaited me just a couple of torrents away. Yet in that moment, as I was dragging down the internet speed of the house back in the 90s, something was happening next door. Out there, lying in quiet darkness, my stepfather snapped. Over the next couple of days, things gained a sense of normalcy. (laughs) I quickly figured out how to make my webcam perpetually showing up as connecting in my online classes, and I was off the hook for learning anything of substance. Wasn't really missing out, it's not like I'll need algebra when I'm 30 anyway. All of my time was spent watching killer shows that made me yell at the screen in anticipation. The pandemic was happening outside, but in my room, I was in the midst of a courtroom drama, infiltrating the FBI with drug smugglers and flying around on dragons and shit. I mean, my head was so deep in other people's stories that I completely lost track of mine. The long panic-filled days turned into brisk binge-filled weeks. I would only leave the comfy nest of my room when I either needed to go to the bathroom or when I would eat with Greg. I was binging shows and Greg... Greg was... changing. I guess I kind of noticed? Like, a part of me definitely registered that Greg wasn't looking great. He was still the same boring balding dude who lived in my house, but he looked impossibly tired? He would stare into his food with bloodshot eyes, barely being able to lift his fork under the strain of his arm, and there was always a thickening aura of sweat around him. I figured that's just how people who have their tourist agencies wiped out by a major global catastrophe look like. Maybe if I reached out to him, asked him if he was alright, or at least what he spends his days doing, I don't know, maybe the sky would be calmer now? Maybe it wouldn't feel like something bad is about to happen. Maybe I could have stopped all of this. But I didn't. I guess that's a part of the bad thing I did. I didn't stop my stepdad's descent into madness. I don't know how many weeks into the lockdown this happened. Probably two months? Somewhere in that ballpark. Time gets kind of fuzzy when there's no distinction between days of the week. All I know is that I was bored with critically acclaimed stuff by then and was in the midst of an internet fringe animation phase. I ended up settling on Dinosaur Boy, an animated web series about crime-fighting dinosaurs. It was chugging along with the show, but in episode 4, just as the romantic interest realizes she is sexually attracted to dinosaurs, my internet froze. I closed and reopened Chrome a dozen times, messed around with the modem, even restarted my laptop, but nothing helped. It was two in the afternoon and I was stuck in the middle of an unexplainable internet drought. I got real bored, real quick. I took a shower, brushed my teeth, ate a yogurt, brushed my teeth again, and then collapsed into the couch to watch actual television. 
Nothing would make me skip a channel quicker than seeing a person in a suit next to a bar graph. The news was the last thing I wanted to watch, but even the regular channels couldn't keep my attention too long. A lion sleeping in a safari, interviews with people I don't care about, conspiracy theories about aliens, channel surfing was just an endless procession of stuff I didn't care about. Oh, it all felt so archaic. I wanted things tailored to my viewing, you know, my habits delivered on a streaming platter without any effort on my part. I wanted to sit back and indulge in a mystery, you know, something spooky and eclectic that I could lose myself in and make my quarantine season a at least a little bit exciting. I turned off the television and started to make my way to my room. I figured that maybe the internet would be back, but before I could get back to my dinosaur boy, a noise out of the garage grabbed my attention. My mom had taken the car over to her sister's so that she wouldn't have to ride public transport. The garage was meant to be empty, but it wasn't. The only thing lighting up in the room was the overcast sun seeping in through the half-open garage door, but even in the dimness, I could see boxes piled all over the place. He stood in the middle of the garage like a puppet awaiting orders. He wheezed like he needed to be on a respirator. His hoodie was absolutely drenched in sweat and he swayed from side to side as if he was about to collapse, but he didn't move an inch from where he was standing. Greg? I asked. Is everything okay? It was as if a burst of electricity went through his muscles. Without acknowledging me, Greg reached deep into one of the boxes, grabbed a bunch of baby blue colored objects, and sprinted out the garage door. I stood there in shock for a couple of seconds. That was the first time Greg had ever ignored me. It was also the first time I had ever seen him run. I peeked outside the garage door. Greg was running towards the woods with determination of someone who's in the last kilometer of a marathon. <laughs> I had gotten the mystery I wanted. Why did you order a bunch of trash bags? I asked during dinner. I figured that was the best angle of inquiry. Asking about his disheveled appearance or how he ignored me in the afternoon would have been too direct. After all, the contents of the boxes in the garage were just as mysterious as his behavior. His red eyes struggled to meet mine. The guy did not look well. I started to feel sorry for him. I might have made a quick quip about him being fat when that realization rolled around. Greg stared into his plate as if the answer to my question was hiding underneath his potatoes. Um, full trash, I guess. He had no idea what I was talking about. I had made my stepdad uncomfortable a thousand times before. I know what an uncomfortable Greg looks like. But what I saw in his eyes that night was not just discomfort. Me asking about the trash bags shook something deep inside of him. This man was haunted by something. You'd better not be planning on running away with all that food. I mumbled to dull my empathy. My heart wasn't in it, I had to admit. I was worried about my stepdad. That night, for the first time since puberty hit, I kept my bedroom door cracked open. Back during the series-filled nights, I could recall the creaking of floorboards sneaking in past my headphones. Figured Greg was just going to the bathroom, didn't make anything of it. That night, through the crack in my bedroom door, I found... I found out his nightly trips were not to the bathroom. I followed him. Greg grabbed another heaping of trash bags from the garage before he ran out onto the street, 
The guy moved with mechanic precision, as if he was some weird, sweaty, middle-aged wind-up doll that someone had decided to send on a jog down into suburbia. I ran a couple paces behind him and found myself losing my breath. I almost went home, figured that maybe my stepdad just got into a self-destructive exercise routine? Thought that nothing mysterious was at play. But then, the others started to appear. The gentle freshness of the night air was quickly replaced with the thick stink of a sweaty crowd. The closer we got into the forest, the more of them there were. Other joggers, all sorts of shapes and sizes, all wheezing through damp face masks that clung to their wet faces. They all looked like they had gone through whatever hell my stepdad had gone through. The pounding of the sneakers, the wheezing, it all amplified into a single procession of stomps and struggles. There was a low rumble in my head. I tried convincing myself that I was just imagining things, that the stink of the crowd was getting to me, that the barrage of footfalls was, was uh, making me hear things. But soon, the rumble morphed into this thunderous, undeniable voice. Leave, it said. The hundred-eyed god compels you to leave. The voice was clear, but there was something else lingering beneath it. Something that crawled through my brain, searching, grabbing at parts of me that made me feel ill. My legs started to feel rubbery. I wanted to go home and crawl into bed. Greg got lost in the congregation of drenched hoodies and sweat palms, and soon enough the whole crowd of joggers stomped and wheezed past me. I, I couldn't go on. I stopped. The stink of the crowd drifted away. The stomping of the joggers drifted into the night until it was swallowed up beneath the chirping of crickets. Within a couple of minutes, it was as if they never existed at all. The crowd was gone. The voice was gone, but that thing, that, that strange force that ruffled through my brain was still unearthing everything it could. I stood in the middle of a tranquil suburbia, but my mind was on fire. I had spent the past three months binging through stupid shows when I could have been learning a new skill. I fried my brain on television while other people were learning shit and proving themselves. The economic system was going to collapse and I wouldn't get a real job until 30? I mean, my graduation was canceled. All of my friends were probably having secret house parties that I wasn't invited to. Matt was probably crushing on someone else. All of these thoughts came as one giant, never-ending wave of failure. I shuffled my feet back home, straining under the weight of my own thoughts. I was completely hopeless. As soon as I got home, I did the thing I always do when I'm feeling hopeless. I took a massive bong hit. I know, I know, it's definitely not a healthy approach to things, but a bit of pot to recontextualize things can be actually good from time to time. That's at least what my biological dad used to say. Sometimes he'd shout it. Either way, that silky hit wiped all of the worries away. Suddenly, I was keenly aware of my age, how the pandemic was being handled in my corner of the world, and how I could do so much better than Matt. <laughs> I, I popped in my headphones, threw on some zep, and floated on those godly licks. But even though my face was melting and my mind was floating thoughtlessly somewhere in the cosmos, there was a thirst in me. That mystery, that excitement of something out there, you know, out of the ordinary that I craved for the past three months, this was it. The mystery of the hundred-eyed god. It had a nice ring to it. Sobriety didn't lessen my commitment to finding out what the whole hundred-eyed god thing was about. 
I spent the whole morning watching Greg like a hawk. If he was going to go on another Eldritch run, I was going to be right behind him. But Greg wasn't going anywhere? He spent all morning sitting on the couch staring into nothingness. I tried talking to him. Didn't even throw in any fat jokes. But all the guy would do is mumble something underneath his breath just to keep on staring into oblivion. I mean, the man was gone. By the looks of it, he had been gone for a long time. I looked into those blank eyes trying to find any sign of life, but all I could see was my own confused reflection. I am tired. He suddenly said with no emotion. I will go take a nap. You should go enjoy your shows. He staggered over to his room and shut the door. I went back to my room and prepared my supplies. When he peeked in through the crack in my door, all that Greg saw was his teenage stepdaughter lost in whatever award-winning series she was streaming on her laptop. He stared at me with those blank eyes for a bit, but I didn't twitch. He stood in my doorway for what felt like an eternity, but then he turned around and left. I could hear him walking towards the garage. I followed. The streets were considerably livelier than they were the night before. Groups of chatty dog walkers milled around catching up on their pandemic drama. People were sipping on beers out on their lawns. The world was slowly turning back to normal. Yet, as the asphalt of the suburbs turned into packed dirt of the forest, all traces of normality disappeared. The other joggers were back. The voice was back. Leave. It thundered. The hundred-eyed god compels you to leave. As the words of the hundred-eyed god echoed through my skull, as the sweat-drenched odor of the other joggers started to replace the piney scent of the forest, the thoughts came back. I had wasted three months of my life. Everybody secretly hated me. Matt was making out with someone else. I popped a joint in my mouth and sparked up. My lungs didn't agree with the mixture of smoking and exercising, but all traces of that forceful neuroticism that that voice of the hundred-eyed god provoked in my head were wiped away and replaced with an electric curiosity. Who were these people? Where were they going? What was this hundred-eyed god? When the trees of the forest blocked out any sign of suburbia, another group of joggers emerged. As exhausted as the group that I was running with looked, the joggers that ran towards us from the forest looked even worse. Not only were they sweaty and sunburnt and unkempt, they were also straining their bodies beneath bloated trash bags filled with something so heavy that the plastic cut into their shoulders. What were they carrying? Why are they doing this? Where are they coming from? My last question was answered with a burst of sunlight. My jogging party had arrived at a clearing in the middle of the forest. It might have been the drugs, but for a split second, I completely forgot that I was in the midst of trying to uncover an eldritch mystery. For a split second, I couldn't help but to think that I was in the most peaceful place on earth. The water shimmered with a heavenly calmness. The reeds gently swayed in the summer wind. An air of calm hung over the beautiful pond that stretched out before me. This is the type of place where I would want to sit as an old woman and fish. I thought. I dreamed. But the stomping of joggers brought me back to reality. The group spread out through the clearing. A few of them started running laps around the lake, but most of the sweaty procession made its way towards the woods. That's when I noticed it. Beneath the peaceful chirping of birds and the gentle rustling of trees was another sound. The sound of axes against wood. Someone was out there cutting down trees. 
I also noticed something else. I wasn't alone with the joggers. Sitting by the side of the river, armed with a fishing pole, was an old man. When I approached him, the rumbling in the back of my skull started back up. The hundred-eyed god was trying to get back into my head. I, I puffed him away. Wow, this is a chill spot, I said, sitting down on the grass next to the old man. For a second, he didn't acknowledge me. He just kept his eyes on the pond. But as I took another puff, he turned to me. Yeah. A look of confusion crossed his face, as if he was not expecting the voice he heard to be attached to a body. He quickly turned his attention back to the pond, but beneath all of those wrinkles, some sort of internal debate was happening. His brow furrowed. He looked back at me. You know what all these sweaty people want? I don't know. <laughs> One of them is my stepdad. He's really dopey. Think it's a cult or something. I took another puff. The old man's nose twitched in recognition. You want a hit? I asked. No. He turned his attention back towards the pond. The guy did not want to talk. I sat there for a bit, taking in the sun and tranquility of the pond, but I couldn't focus on the beauty of this place with all that wheezing and stomping that the joggers supplied. I couldn't focus with the chomping sounds coming from the woods. As I moved through the dark underbrush, I passed by the other joggers. Some were running towards the noise, others were returning back, weighed down with the trash bags on their shoulders. I was completely invisible to them. The rest of the world was completely invisible to them. They just moved through their mysterious motions like sweaty puppets. The chomping grew louder, stumps and jagged chunks of wood started to litter the floor. Before me, a makeshift lumber operation stretched out. The men and women who chopped at the felled trees were different from the joggers I had seen before. They weren't just covered in sweat. They were covered in blood. It dripped from their calloused hands down to their axes and their hoodies of their skin. They didn't care. They just chopped away at the wood and threw the jagged chunks into a large pile. From there, other joggers loaded up the wood into trash bags and ran off to God knows where. For a couple of minutes, I just stood there and watched and uh, trying to make sense of it all. They all just worked away at their tasks as if they were part of some giant sweaty machine. Not one paid the slightest bit of attention to me. Some of the arriving joggers would even bump into me. I was completely invisible to them. Until I wasn't. It, it all happened so quickly. A scream came from the pond. It sounded like the old man, but before I was able to even fully register that he was crying for help, something else grappled for my attention. The rumbling in the back of my skull was back. The joggers, they stopped chomping. They were all staring at me. As they spoke, the voice of the hundred god echoed through my skull. You've been warned. They all echoed so desperately tired, yet the voice in the back of my head bristled with savage energy. The hundred-eyed god demands you to leave this place. The blood-stained axes were lifted. The procession of sweaty souls started to walk towards me. I tried lighting my joints up again, but all that was left was a roach. You have been warned, they said, as they started to swing the axes from side to side. The hundred-eyed god demands you to leave this place. One of the joggers swung his axe wide and embedded it in a fellow running enthusiast. Her gray hoodie quickly streaked with red. 
He didn't acknowledge his slip. Neither did she. I, I ran as fast as I could. I called my mom as soon as I got home. I told her that Greg wasn't, uh, dealing well with the pressure of looking after me. I told her whatever I needed for her to get back home. Luckily for me, the emergency rooms that once held people who needed ventilators were now back to mainly serving unlucky drunks. My mom came back home. She could see something was wrong with Greg as soon as she walked in the house. I was sure that Greg was gone, that whatever the hell he went through over the past three months had completely squeezed any amount of personality out of him. But all it took was one hug? As soon as my mom wrapped her arms around him, it was as if he plunged back into reality. He told her that he had started exercising, that he wanted to impress her by losing weight, but that something bad took control. He couldn't remember most of what happened over the past three months. There were flashes of memories, but none of them made any sense. Greg's voice was shaky at first, as if he was getting used to being back in his skin, but soon enough he calmed. Soon enough he was back to being regular, aggressively boring Greg. The three of us had dinner, and I did my best not to make any fat jokes. It was nice knowing that Greg didn't fall into some mental abyss, and I was more than ready to pass out after all the running I had done. But as I lay in bed trying to fall asleep, the mystery of the hundred-eyed god wouldn't give me rest. My head was filled with too many questions for me to rest. I rolled another joint to take my mind off of things. It simply made the questions more potent. Who is the hundred-eyed god? What is happening out there by the pond? Why does it feel like tonight is the beginning of something horrid? I wrestled with these questions. I tried to push them out, but that mystery, that thirst, wouldn't let me rest. I knocked back two more Red Bulls, took a bong hit for good measure, and snuck out of the house. The pond is no longer tranquil. In fact, the pond no longer exists. The water is gone. Where once stood a little forest Shangri-La, there is now a raw, muddy crater filled with dying fish. There was no procession of sweaty joggers as I made my way towards the pond tonight because they were already here. They stand, wheezing and exhausted, ready to serve their enigmatic master. Shambling figures emerge from the woods. These people are not wearing workout clothes, but they look like they've been through the same hell that all those joggers have been through. With veiled offerings in their hands, they join the crowd. There is a tension in the air as if a thousand lightning bolts are to strike at the same time. The crowd looks up towards the sky and the stars shine down like a thousand eyes. They are watching. They are waiting. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Condor, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people in supporting the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash mikejlanger. And so concludes this episode of the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Make sure to drop by next week for another episode of the 100 Eyed God series.